Welcome to New Chip Accelerate, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the New Chip Accelerator. From investing to building a company culture, this podcast strives to shine a light on the many unknowns that all entrepreneurs face on a daily basis. Through talks with key personalities, Accelerate will teach you how to approach your investors, companies, customers, and challenges with a fresh perspective. Today's episode is a fun chat between New Chip's program director for Pre-Seed and Seed, Andrew Mulchaney, and Neil Shaw, the CEO and co-founder of Think Nimble. Think Nimble is a Washington, D.C.-based software development agency that focuses on supporting early-stage entrepreneurs. Neil is an accomplished entrepreneur with a background in both founding and investing in companies. In today's episode, Neil and Andrew will get into the nitty-gritty of leading at a tech startup even if you yourself are not the most technical founder. Let's get right into it. Here's Andrew and Neil. My name is Andrew Mulchaney, and I'm one of the Accelerator Program Directors here at New Chip. Uh, my guest today is Neil Shaw. Now, Neil and I know one another because he and his team helped my co-founder and me launch our EdTech platform several years ago, which was an incredibly successful and supportive experience for us. Um, so I'm thrilled to connect with you today, Neil. Welcome. Um, Thank you. Tell us, little, tell us a little bit about Think Nimble and, and the work that you all do. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's good to be here and um, I'm excited to chat more uh, with you guys. So like Andrew said, Think Nimble is a software development agency that focuses particularly on the early stages for companies. We work primarily with startups and a lot of socially focused startups. Um, our, our sort of shtick is that there's a lot of development firms that are out there uh, that can write code, that can sort of build products. Um, but we, we make sure that all of our developers, all of our product managers, all of our UI UX people have entrepreneurial experiences themselves so they can sort of apply that journey to the code that they're writing. And so, um, you know, more than just developers, they're sitting in, you know, pitch meetings. They're like working alongside you as you figure out your investment plans, your budgets, your roadmaps. Um, and we, we like to sort of like set our startups up for success in a way that we say that we don't just build apps, we help build businesses. And so it's like one part studio, one part sort of accelerator program, and then one part software development uh, development firm. Now, your, your website says that you build software for companies uh, you admire. So I'm glad to have inspired that tagline for you Absolutely. guys. Absolutely. Well, at first it was just we work with companies, but then I worked with Andrew and I said, that's a guy I admire. Let's make it software <laughs> for people we admire. <laughs> All kidding aside, like t- tell me why that's so important for you all. Because I I, I I experienced it personally, but kind of give us some more insight into into that that approach. Yeah, I, I think that like it's just more the people who are involved in our um, agency are involved because they really like working with socially focused startups, and so we don't try and draw hard lines between like we'll work for a startup oriented idea that's at a big company, we'll work for a nonprofit or a for profit. But like my personal opinion is that the internet has the ability to do so many amazing things. Like we all have these computers in our pockets that like, you know, have the power of what a supercomputer could have done, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, we can like bounce satellite signals off of space so that we can connect with people in the Philippines. We can do like unbelievable things with the world that's around us. And, you know, I tend to use that to consume funny cat videos and like tweet to my friends about random things, right? And the power of that is so much more. So it's like in our lifetimes, we're seeing industries being toppled, but those industries are like, you know, movies, like shopping, e-commerce, and those have great potential, don't get me wrong. But just recently, we're starting to see the internet topple things like education, right? And change the way that we're dealing with like, you know, diversity and inclusion in the workplace and just things that are like really powerful, meaty topics. And, you know, they're the hard problems to solve. I think it's like, it's more cut and dry when you're 
bringing revenue to, to companies or like selling products to customers, but dealing with these societal change sorts of, sorts of issues are just like, I don't know, they're just like very interesting and very meaty challenges. And I think all of our team likes working on that. So, uh, you know, we sort of said we work with companies we admire because we like to tackle big social issues with the projects that we solve. And we also like to work with entrepreneurs that we really like working with. And so it sort of applies both ways. Yeah, that's super exciting. I, mean, I think at New Chip, we're seeing so many founders today and, and rapidly, right? Um, not just domestic companies, but international companies as well that we work with that have really um, focused social missions that are, you know, exactly like you put it, they're positioned to tackle major issues that um, maybe go, you know, far beyond um, simply entertainment or, you know, uh, some other sort of e-commerce kind of concept. So that that's really exciting. Um, tell us about how Think Nimble Labs sort of was born out of the work that you all were, were doing successfully um, in kind of your first phase. Yeah, Think, Think Nimble Labs is uh, sort of like an amalgam of like services that we all like to do, just put under the umbrella of um, like an initiative called Think Nimble Labs. And it's very early right now. But the way that we're thinking about it is that we want to be more than software developers. Um, we are surrounded by a network of really amazing mentors. Me and my two co-founders uh, like ran a startup that we sold in 2017. And there was this whole group of kind of support and mentorship that went around that. And we would like to be able to provide that to the clients that we work with. It's like very common that a client will come to us building an MVP and they'll be like, I'm in the middle of a raise. Do you know someone who can help me with my books? Do you know someone who can help me with my accounting? Do you have advice for how I hire my first CTO or whatever, right? And we do that as a matter of course, but as we've been growing, um, we sort of want to expose our developers to opportunities where they can work with startups and sort of help them along these, these things. And it's great in both ways, right? Like a lot of times a uh, entrepreneur just needs to sit down with a developer or a former entrepreneur and just ask like one or two deep questions, right? Not the like high level, you know, blog post style stuff, but just like, look, I have a board meeting tomorrow. Like, show me what the outline for my board meeting should look like, right? Have you done this before? Like, show me the example kind of thing, right? So we try and like make it very practical, very specific. Um, and then the other big thing is that it trains our developers to think about like what the, um, you know, like what the meaning behind their code is, right? Like a developer who's writing code all day long may forget that the entrepreneur who's about to go into a board meeting is about to pull up that demo in front of a bunch of people who are about to give them financing. And, uh, you know, that sort of connection makes us all better. It makes us better developers. And I think it makes our entrepreneurs just, you know, have more resources surrounding them. So practically speaking, there's four parts to Think Nimble Labs. Um, one, my favorite program is the office hours that we do every Friday. And so what that looks like is it's just a one-on-one -on -one session with a developer or product manager who has sort of pre-knowledge about the industry or the topic that you're talking about. Again, these are not sort of like, give me some general advice sort of things. It's like, hey, I've got this piece of code or I've got this feature, I've got this mock-up. What are the red flags for you as a developer when it comes to this thing? Or I'm trying to build a product in blockchain. I've looked at these three options. Which of these do you think is the best as a product manager or designer in this space? We also have a series of webinars and trainings that we're doing. Um, and you can just find those on our website. Um, I'm sure that'll be linked somewhere, uh, but it's thinknimble.com slash labs. Um, we have a angel investment network that we're setting up and the idea is to sort of finance that sort of seed to A range companies. Um, and you can find out more about that on our website. And then the last is we have this big group of mentors and some of them are service providers, so like accountants, um, lawyers that are startup friendly and sort of vetted by us. And then other folks are just supporters and community members um, that, uh, that like to work with early stage startups. So all of these services together are just set up to help entrepreneurs kind of get off the ground. And very similar to what Newchip does and a lot of other accelerators, 
but with a heavy focus, I think, on technology and sort of like real authentic looks at how tech works. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a total transparent plug for this opportunity, uh, your Friday office hours are set up now and available um, to new chip founders. Um, but that's really exciting. And I'm glad that we're able to start offering that for our founders because we really do work with a lot of folks across dozens of industries that maybe lead a, a pretty technically focused company and don't necessarily have that tech background themselves. Um, they you know, are experiencing success, they've got traction, um, but could really benefit from that sort of one-on-one, very personalized, very responsive um, kind of support that you're providing. So that's super that's exciting. And we're, we're lucky to, to be able to partner with you on that. That's great. Yeah, we're happy to do it. We work with a lot of accelerators around, uh, around the United States. And it is fun because I think that like sometimes an entrepreneur just needs to sit down with a developer and ask like one focused technical question and it's hard to find that person. So I hope we can help. Awesome. Um, let's kind of focus a little bit on some of the um, needs and also outcomes that you're seeing with the companies that you've been working with at Think Nimble and Think Nimble Labs. What are some of the, the common challenges that you find founders are, are facing and that you're able to really sort of support them through and, and work with on them? Um, and and what, what kind of successes have you seen with those efforts? Yeah, I'll say that, like, I think the, and I'm not sure this directly answers what you're asking, but I'll say like the number one thing that I would advise entrepreneurs who are coming into our program or any program like this to think about is that their startup is fundamentally an experiment, right? And that experiment, like any good experiment, should have like an expected outcome and a hypothesis around that outcome. And, you know, we, we see a lot of pitch decks for our angel work and then also through a couple of other angel groups that I'm a part of where, um, you know, I think startups that don't approach their, uh, their first, second or third version of their company as an experiment sort of miss out in sort of the authenticity of like what this experience is. Investors know that you are not, you don't know everything that's going to make this company work, right? But I think the structure around the fundraising process um, and even the like beta process, right, sort of calls you to say that you do. But the most effective pitches or the most effective beta programs are baked in this philosophy, right? In order for my company to work, in order for me to be here, in order for me to want this thing to happen, right? These 10 things must be true. There must be a viable market. There must be a willingness to pay. There must be whatever, 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 right? I'm here because I want to prove these 10 things true. I know that these five things are true. This trend shows this thing are true. This true. Our research shows this thing is true. But I don't know that these five things are true. So over the next year, I'm funding an experiment, and I'd like your money, Mr. and Mrs. Investor, to do that, right? I'm funding an experiment that will make that, uh, that will show me the proof points around those five things, right? So I'm going to fund the experiment, and I'll report back to you the information. I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. But if these things are true, then we can build a scalable and repeatable process, right? That sort of pitch is beautiful. And the truth is, if you can do that well, and you have that, that hypothesis, that hypothesis becomes the framework of prioritization for the rest of your company. And that's true for both product and tech, but also sales and marketing, right? If you are trying right now to show long-term lifetime customer value in Washington, D.C., so that you can copy and paste that city to multiple markets over the course of the next five years or whatever, and your proof point is getting D.C. so that you have like five customers who are paying X amount in this place, right? Everything should be geared towards that thing. So your designers and your developers must, when they're making trade-offs of what they're working on, have that in mind at all times. Your salespeople must have that in mind at all times, right? So that sort of approach, I think, is really important. And the companies that work are the ones that are super, uh, even if they don't say that explicitly, right? They're not like hypothesis, like structure or whatever. They're super diligent about keeping that sort of focus on the outcomes that they're looking for. Does that answer the question? It definitely does. I mean, I, I think what I relate to most from that is 
this process of not only being able to convey your messaging to potential investors, right, in that way, that this is not only an experiment, but it's an iterative process. We're going to do this over and over again, right? This is how we operate, but then also operating that way um, as an internal team. Um, yeah. And know that, that that's how, you know, you, you run your, your companies is wanting to experiment and wanting to try new things, knowing that you're making those decisions or making those choices based on really good information, but also leaving the the door and, and many windows open, right? For the yeah. possibility of, oh, that could totally not work the way we thought it would, but it worked in this way. What do we do with that now? I think that kind of uh, just mentality and approach is, is really valuable insight, especially for early stage founders. Yeah. So one thing that I've learned personally over the last little bit is that like when people use the word experiment, uh, they sort of use that to maybe cover up the fact that there are like crazy ideas. I totally do this, right? Like you can ask any of my team members when Neil says experiment, like just watch out, right? Because it's just like a crazy idea. Over the last couple of years, I've tried to be a little bit more rigorous around the idea of not just experimenting, but like experimental design. So sort of like sitting down rigorously like a scientist would, right? And just like looking at the problem as like, this is what I think is true. This is my desired outcome. Here are the variables I can control. Here are the levers that I'm able to pull. Here are the things that I can't control, right? And just designing that as a thoughtful process, again, like a scientist would, you know? That sort of experimentation is like the bedrock of entrepreneurship and being very good at designing those things is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give for uh, founders, again, particularly early stage founders who may feel some trepidation or uneasiness about really trying to bring their authentic self and bring their sort of experience and perspective in sort of in that internal setting of, okay, I've established my small team and we're, we're doing this work and we're moving forward, we're gaining some traction. How, how, how does a non-technical founder keep up, if you will, um, as you know, their team is working with you know, services like you provide or just developing their product on their own? What what advice would you give to that founder so that they not only stay relevant and current on how their tech works, but mm-hmm. also so that they can um, anticipate needs that maybe aren't necessary today, but might be needed three months from now, six months from now? How do you how should founders stay prepared for that kind of constant change? Yeah, that's great. I think there's kind of two questions in there. One is sort of like how do non-technical founders work with technical teams, and then the other is how do they stay current and sort of relevant with technology, even if they're not necessarily like you know, technical people themselves, right? So for the technical and non-technical split, this is something that we talk about all the time. And I, I'm, we have like webinars and a website about this, or we can set up office hours to talk about this specifically. This is a big challenge, right? And it's something that I don't want to like diminish in terms of its, uh, you know, its difficulty or whatever. Being a non-technical founder and managing a technical team is a challenge, right? But the truth is that like, just like any good partnership, right? Both parties being something really real to the table, and oftentimes what you'll find, there's this weird wall between like non-technical people and technical people where the idea of like code and technology just like turns them off or whatever. But tech is usually the easiest part of the problem, right? In terms of a business, like all technology does is it makes things go really, really fast and it allows it to happen across multiple computers at the same time, right? Like that that's really it, right? The hard part is like what you make go really fast or what is the process that you're automating or the structure. And that's the thing that non-technical founder has a lot of experience in. So like, you know, in the same way that you'll go to a tech person and be like, hey, I don't understand these things, right? Can you help me figure out like what the data structure is or whatever? They should be coming to you and saying, hey, I don't understand the industry or the domain that exists behind what we're doing, right? Can you explain to me how, you know, like, you know, providing this sort of service to your clientele works, right? And that sort of partnership is really good. And just like anyone else in your team, and that's true across a lot of different disciplines, right? Just like anyone else, right? 
good communication, sort of like documentation, sort of deep understanding, partnership, trust makes that whole thing work. We have a whole bunch of practical tools that non-technical founders can use. And it may be too much to go into this call, but we've got a webinar on our website and I'm happy to do an office hour about it. But um, there's sort of like terms and principles that you can use as a non-technical CEO that will better allow you to talk to your product team. Um, but uh, uh, I think maybe a little bit too much to go into on this call. The second question about how you stay relevant um, for new tech trends, um, again, also a, a, a big topic of conversation, but I think this one's a little bit easier. Most of most of the thing that makes tech hard, like that you know, people talk about is the commodity part of tech. Every year, there are 1.5 million more JavaScript developers than there were the year before, right? There are so many people who go JavaScript. That is not the hard part of tech. The hard part is sort of understanding the application and use case of it, and everyone can understand that, right? And so um, the practical choices between like, do I use Firebase or do I use Postgres, like that kind of stuff, rely on your tech team for, right? But again, those sorts of trade-off decisions are not really that important. The important stuff is, what's the data that I'm actually holding and how will it be used by my end users? And that's the stuff that you need to stay on top of. Oftentimes, I think developers and entrepreneurs become obsessed with being at the cutting edge of technology. And in a few industries that don't matter, blockchain startups, VR startups, AR startups, totally matters. But if you're doing a two-sided marketplace or you're doing kind of like, data-driven search or whatever, staying ahead of the curve is very expensive and very time-consuming, right? And most technology does very similar things, right? And so as long as you stay relatively current, you will be good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, something you and I have talked about a lot is that intersection of communication and problem solving, right? Like at the end of the day, those two dynamics either help or hinder all of the work that's happening, um, whether it's through a partnership and it's outside services that are being delivered or it's, it's internal, right, uh, amongst the team. Um, in our last few minutes, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the risks or some of the potential pitfalls, right? Like what, what are things that um, you would, you've either seen or observed or that you would advise founders on really being careful about when it comes to moving product forward or moving through the design process, um, you know, whether or not they've got a, a functioning platform or or they're still in that sort of design phase, what are some of the risks that, that you would advise folks to really be aware of so that they're strategizing um, and thinking about the right things as they really try to, to go to market with, with their product or service? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll say like one big one that comes up a lot with our, with our clients. Um, many people approach us, right? And they're like, how much will this app cost to build? And the answer is always on what time frame, right? Because the truth is like, once you start building an app as a company, it is very rare that you stop, right? And that's like part of the way that we build apps. We build smaller iterative chunks of technology, right? And we sort of layer on top of like, uh, like real user data that comes in, right? And so once you start building an app, you will always have to be updating it. And that applies in a bunch of different ways, right? One, customers will come to you with more ideas, right? And you'll be building updates, right, for it. Technology will evolve and change. Versions will change, dependencies will change, and you'll have to update your app, right? And then you'll be dealing with sort of like, you know, personnel changes on your end, language changes, all sorts of stuff, right? Your app will evolve over the course of the lifetime of your business. So once you start, you will never stop. And so my advice for most people is they tend to get started on building, especially custom technology, way too early in the lifestyle of their business. There's so much that we can do now with no code, low code frameworks, you know, like, you know, even Google Forms, Squarespace pages, there's just like a lot more of a democratization of tech that has happened over the last little bit that allows the average entrepreneur to do so much um, without a developer, right? And so like the most important thing, and you said it, Andrew, is like product design and sort of like 
part of product design is not necessarily the tools that you're using, but the sort of user experience and the sort of like process that you're trying to automate and techify down the road, right? And so like, I think this is pretty standard entrepreneurial advice, right? But I would just like really emphasize the fact that the costs go up significantly once you start building custom software, right? So like strap in once you start that thing, because it's probably going to continue for a while. That's not to say that you can't cut costs and sort of manage development processes and be efficient around budgets or whatever. Um, but just the opportunity for that to balloon becomes a lot greater once you start. And so just keep that in mind as you're building your software. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I, I'm sure that resonates with a lot of our founders, especially folks that are, you know, bootstrapping or in very early stages. But I think that also presents a really good opportunity. Um, like you mentioned earlier, you know, connecting uh, the kinds of founders that you're working with, with a network of angel investors and being able to really convey that, you know, here's our experiment and sort of here's phase one and here's what we're trying to figure out. Um, I think that would also really resonate with that sort of a, an approach by saying, we're minimizing our risk as much as possible, but here's what we want to try and what we want to find out. Absolutely. Um, I think those two things align really well. Neil, thank you so much for connecting and just kind of talking through some of these key pieces. Um, it's It's been great. And, and I'm excited to be able to share this with the New Chip Network. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for tuning into this episode of New Chip Accelerate. If you are interested in learning more about how New Chip enables startup founders to build their business, meet other CEOs, and raise their rounds, all while retaining 100% ownership of their companies, check us out at newchip.com. If you want to learn more about Think Nimble, check them out at thinknimble.com. Thank you for listening again, and we'll see you soon with the next episode of New Chip Accelerate.